Uh, let's, let's pray. God, we thank you uh, that we have a Savior who absorbed um, every bit of your wrath on our behalf. We, uh, because of Christ, can boldly approach your throne and with confidence claim the crown of Christ our own. We thank you for that wonderful message. And it is with the power of Christ that we enter into your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Um, at this time, the children can be dismissed. Sprouts, kindergarten, and younger um, can go with Erica and Crystal. And um, also, if you're a uh, guest with us in the uh, bulletins, there's a little communication card. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and dropping it in the offering box uh, before you leave, we would love to be able to connect with you. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there's a couple on the back table. You could just slip up your hand and we could get you a Bible. Matthew chapter 7 is where we're at. Uh, if you are new to the scriptures, the, this is what's called one of the Gospels. There are four Gospels, which are the stories, the accounts of Jesus. And everything we know about Jesus is in these four Gospels. And what we've been doing right over the last couple months uh, since uh, the beginning of winter, I believe, is when we started. We've been going through Jesus' most famous, famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we are actually finishing it this morning. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Follow along in your Bible as I read. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Pray with me again. Let's just ask God to open our eyes to 
Jesus' conclusion. Father, we um, humbly come before you, recognizing that um, without your Spirit moving among us, that this is, uh, these are, this is ink on paper. Th- these are words uh, that could make no sense to us. Um, yet, what we believe is that this is your word to us. And so, God, we ask that you speak to us through your word, that um, the truth that lies within comes alive in our hearts, that it convicts us of our sin, that it points us to Christ. I pray, God, that we who are on the narrow road will be encouraged this morning, that we will see that we have a rock-solid foundation. And God, those who are on a wide road this morning, I pray that they will see that destruction is their future and that they will turn and repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and we ask these things. Amen. So if you were brought up in the, the church, you were, you're probably very aware of sort of this narrow road kind of theology, this narrow road. This is, this is it. Uh, The picture that we have that you might have in your mind is like this dark, scary pathway, and it's just you walking on it. Maybe just you and Jesus. And it's scary, and it's, it's hard, and it's rocky. And then over here is this wide road, and that's where all of your friends are at. That's like the fun. That's the, they're having a good time in this life, and they're smiling, and they're doing very bad things like drinking beer and smoking cigars, right? And, but you're over here on this narrow road, and you're doing the right things, and it's, and it's hard, and it's dark. Now, many of us grew up with that, and even as I, even as I say the word narrow road, it's sort of like you have to take a breath, like you start to feel a little suffocated. Like, <laughs> no, I, I, I walked away from that kind of narrow road religion when I was a kid. Like, I left that in my past. I actually met a guy who's a pastor of a church, and his, he said his church was called the Narrow Road Church. And I even had to like take a breath myself. I was like, okay, Narrow Road. And so here's what we've done. In reaction to that, we're like, we don't want Narrow Road, we want Wide Road. So we have then reacted to that, and many Christians today have embraced what you could call a Wide Road to faith and to life a very wide, very accepting, non-judgmental sort of road, very friendly, smiling faces, enjoying life. The road for some has become so wide that you don't even have to believe in Christ anymore or have anything to do with church to be on it. Everybody's in. Now, What does Jesus mean here when he says that there is a narrow road? What what we're looking at right here, this is Jesus' powerful, sweeping conclusion to everything that he's been saying in the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins his conclusion by saying, there are only two ways to live. A narrow gate and a narrow road, few find it. You are on it, and a wide gate and a wide road, which many are on. 
What did Jesus mean by that? Are there really only two ways to live? Is there really only, are there, are there really only two roads? See, we, we've, we've left that in the past, and so we've, we've opted for... Let me put it this way. No longer do we ask this question, does God accept us? Uh, John Wesley, the old preacher, he, he would say that he would preach the law and he would preach the commandments of God until people were crying out like, what must I do to be saved? And they began to believe, like, I can never be accepted before God. And then he said, only then would I give them grace. Where we're at today with, with Christians is the idea, the concept of being accepted by God is sort of a no-brainer for us. We're like, yeah, God's accepting, God's accepted me, I'm in. The question that we now ask is, do we accept God? We no longer worry about whether or not we are on God's road. We wonder whether or not we want God on our road. We no longer ask the question, do we please God? Does my life please God? But we rather have opted for the question, does God please me? What I want to see this morning as we go into Jesus' conclusion, here's my goal, is that we see that there are two, ro two roads, two ways to live. And there is a road which is wrought with fear and with guilt. And what I want you to see is that that's not the narrow road. The wide road is wrought with fear and guilt. The narrow road, we find a foundation that is rock solid, that leads to the everlasting joy of the kingdom of heaven, everything that we've been exploring here. So with that, let's dive into it. What I want to do is I want to look at Jesus' first um, claim here, that there's two roads, two ways to live, two gates. I want to look at that, I want to explore it, and then I want to go through three different sketches that he gives us, three analogies, three ways of life on the roads that will help us know whether or not we are on the narrow road versus the wide road. Look at it with me. Here's the claim. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, he says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Three quick contrasting observations that we see in these two roads that Jesus is talking about here. The first one is this. The way to life um, versus the way to death. The way to life has one access point, he says. Versus many access points on the way to, on the way to death. Um, the preacher, Alistair Begg, he, he was talking about meeting some Christian from China. Uh, th this person grew up in a part of China which was very difficult to be a Christian, uh, to express the Christian faith. And so he met this person and he said, how did you become a Christian in China? And he said he'll never forget the answer. She, came, she, 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 she answered him. She said, I entered through the narrow gate. And he said, of course, like every single one of us. The narrow gate, you see the gate, when he says the gate is narrow, what it, 
What's narrow about it is there's one access point. Um, Jesus in John chapter 10, he calls himself there, he literally calls himself the door. He says, I am the door. Like, I'm the one access point. I am the door. And he says, all my sheep who enter through me find salvation through this door. So the gate is narrow in the sense that there's one access point, and that is Christ, versus the wide gate where there are many access points, many ways down that road. You could say uh, false religions, counterfeit gods, or even Christianity without Christ would be an access point down the wide road. The narrow gate of Christ is why the church is a global, historical, multicultural family. Listen, we, right now, we don't all know each other. Just look around. Look at, look at each other. You most likely don't know the person like to behind you or in front of you very well. Do you guys realize that if you are a Christian today that we have all entered through the same gate? Do you realize we, we are in a stadium and we've all come through the same turnstile? Like there is one access point. And what it does is this. It unites strangers. In 1945, World War II was over. Do you know what news of the victory did? Strangers were kissing each other, dancing together, lifting each other up in the air. Why? Because they were united around something that was remarkable. Something connected us. Listen, the narrow gate makes us a beautiful, global, multicultural family. We come together as strangers hearing the good news of Christ entering through the narrow gate, and we celebrate, and we grab each other, and we say, you are my brother, and I don't even know you. And we have the same father. The, um, I don't know about you guys, but since with, with tr the Trayvon Martin case, since the de decision yesterday, uh, Facebook has been, <laughs> like I spent this morning, five o'clock in the morning, I'm up just going through Facebook, and I'm like, let me just say this, here's where I am most heavy this morning. Um, we, are, are, we are divided on race. We are culturally divided. Listen, the church, not so. Here, here's what we have in the church. I want you guys to hear this. This is what the narrow gate does to us. We have all, who, whoever comes through Christ, we have all, Hispanic, white, black, rich, poor, Chinese, Indian, American, we've all come through the same access point. We have all seen Christ. We've all looked to Christ. We've all, every one of us, has found our identity no longer in ourselves, but in that access point of Jesus Christ. And so listen, I then, as a white dude from Ohio, have more in common with a black dude who's a Christian than I do with another fellow white dude from Ohio who appreciates 1990s grunge, mu grunge music, but is not a Christian. Do you see what I'm saying? 
Like we have a new identity. You have more in common with someone who's grown up in communist China and has entered to the access point of Jesus Christ than you do with some of your own family members who do not know Christ. This is what the gospel does for us. This is what the narrow gate says to us, is that we have all come through that same point. We're in a, 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 a kingdom, which is a stadium filled with every tongue and every tribe and every language. And you ask, how did you get into the stadium? We all say the same thing. It was through that turnstile. All right, next contrasting observation here. Um, look at it. The, the wide gate, he says, is um, easy. But the narrow gate is hard. The way, the road is hard. It is difficult. Now, first, what we see here is this. Jesus, as he's concluding his sermon, is announcing judgment. He's saying that there is a way that is easy and it is leading to destruction. It is leading to judgment. I want you to understand this. As Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom here, everything has shifted. Everything has changed. So the idolatry and the ignorance that God has previously put up with, it's all different now. The kingdom has been born. It's alive. It is active. We can have access into it. And with it, with the, with the coming of Christ, he has brought the announcement of both judgment and salvation to all of the world. And the road to salvation, he says, is hard. The road to judgment is easy. Now, you might say, wait a second. I thought that we were saved by grace through faith alone. How can Jesus say that it's hard? Like, I thought it was rather easy. Martin Luther, the theologian, the, the great reformer, the uh, champion of salvation, justification by grace through faith, he was working with a questioner, and this, this sort of skeptic that he was working with um, was, was trying to understand this idea of being saved by faith, by having faith in Christ. And so he examined all of the texts that Luther showed him, and then he looked back up to Luther and he was like, it makes sense, like it's all there. But he said this, he said, it just seems too easy. I thought the way is hard. And here's what Luther responded with. He said, do you think a life of faith is easy? No, a life of faith is very hard. You see, what's easy is to pretend to live life as if there is no God. I mean, sure, you believe in God, but you're a practical atheist. What's easy is to embrace a Christianity where we worship and we sing and we do nice things and we roll up our sleeves and we serve, and there's no Christ at the center. What's easy is to rely on our good deeds, to do things, to, 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 to do something tangible, What's easy is to, is to be focused on what we can see and what we can touch. What's hard, Luther said, what's hard is to live a life by faith. And by the way, it requires a miracle. 
The faith that you have, if you are here and you have faith in Christ as your, as your Savior, listen, you have experienced a miracle in your, in your life. To believe, listen, that we are broken sinners and that we can only enter into this kingdom through a poverty of spirit, through having nothing, through crying out to Christ, through seeing Christ on the cross take the wrath of God for our sins, rise from the dead, and then to put our, eternal, put our faith in that, for our eternal state, to rest in that, to trust in that. Listen, friends, you've experienced the miracle. Faith, a life of faith, is the hard road. Now, third contrasting observation here. Look at the numbers. The, way to e- uh, the, the ways easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. The gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. The wide road, you find many. The narrow road, you find few. What does this mean? Well, what it means, first of all, is this. It means that often this, this faith that we live out, you're going to find to be a lonely road. Do, do you find, do you find, since you've become a Christian, do you find things to be odd? Like, do you feel odd? Do you feel out of place at times? Like, do you feel like you're not thinking like everybody else at work? You have a new mindset. Like, you can't, you can't just do the things that you used to do. You can't do the things that your friends enjoy doing. Like, you're, you're, you're living a different kind of life. It can be a lonely journey. Now, this is why, friends, this is why we emphasize church membership. One of the members here at our church, she was uh, telling me this last week how she became a Christian when she first believed the gospel. And she said it was when she went overseas to a, to a place that was hostile. She got away from sort of American Christianity where church is just sort of the normal thing that we do, overseas hostile towards faith. And what she found there was that church became beautiful. This gathering of people around the gospel became beautiful. Listen, this is what we do, guys. We, we, we live our lives out there, and then we come here. What do we do every Sunday? We sing songs that remind us that the fight we're fighting is a worthy fight. We, we, we pray, and we, through praying together as a community, we practice utter dependence on God. We sit, and we listen like, where else? I mean, honestly, if you're not in school anymore, where do you do this? You know, like monologue. This dude up here talking for 45 minutes, and you're sitting and you're listening. Why? What are we doing? What we're doing is this. We are hearing that the war, that the war is over. We're hearing the victory news. We're hearing the good news that the kingdom of Satan has been toppled over, that there is a new king, a new reign, and a new order, and we are part of that. We, we are reminded of these things, and then we look around at each other, and we say, you are my brother, you are my sister. We celebrate together, we dance together, we hug each other. What we're reminding ourselves is that we are not alone as we leave this place. So how does Jesus here help us to know whether or not we are on the right path? To know whether or not we are on the path toward destruction 
or whether or not we are on the path toward life. What I want to do is take the rest of our time, and I want to look at these three sketches that he gives us. Look at verses 15 through 20, and then the next 21 through 23, and then that following conclusion right there. Three different um, analogies and sketches of life on these roads. What he shows us is this. I'll give you a brief overview. There are two kinds of prophets. One on the road to destruction and one on the road to life. He says there are two kinds of disciples that are products of those prophets. One on the road to destruction, one on the road to life. And then finally, there are two kinds of foundations. One which will not last and one which will remain. So we're going to explore these and help us to understand what he means by this and how we know whether or not we are on the road that leads to life. So let's look at the first sketch. Two kinds of teachers, two kinds of prophets. Read it with me, verse 15. Beware, he says, of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them, how? By their fruits. So these are teachers and leaders, which he refers to as trees. Get this picture. There are some trees over here. And they look a lot like sheep. But the reality is, wait, trees that look like sheep, but they're wolves. Are we, are we tracking here? The, the pictures just got confused in my own mind. <laughs> so there's trees that look like sheep, but they're wolves, all right? They're going to devour you. Now, how do we know whether or not these wolves that look like sheep but are trees, how do we know whether or not they are teachers leading us on the path toward life? He says, examine their fruit. Now, what does he say about the fruit? It's not that, I'm going to give you a double negative, it's not that they don't have fruit. See, a lot of times we think of it in this sense. We think of it in terms of um, Christian bears fruit, non-Christian does not bear any fruit. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, good teacher bears good fruit, bad teacher bears, what does it say? Bad fruit. Now, what does this mean? Practically speaking, what it means first is this. It means that we can easily be deceived to believe that there's legitimacy there, to believe that something spiritual is happening because we can point to fruit. We can say, look, how can you say that there's nothing spiritual? Ha- how can you say that they're not, they don't believe in Jesus or they don't believe the gospel, they're not resting? Look at the fruit. There's stuff happening. There's fruit all over the place. So what then is bad fruit? Well, Jesus' next sketch actually helps us. So let's just keep going. Drive on down. Next sketch here, two different kinds of disciples. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we did... Did, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Did you guys catch that? So let's back up a little bit. Teachers, good teachers, bad teachers, good tree, bad tree, both producing fruit, one fruit good, one fruit bad. What is the fruit? Well, there's the picture of it. It's these disciples that are coming out of this teaching. 
And there's two claims now. There's two kinds of disciples. One does the will of the Father, and the other one, he says, verse 22, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? Now, at this point, we just have to stop and say, now hold up. This sounds like the same thing. Like, the, these, these people who Jesus de says, depart from me, these are people, listen, who are doing a lot of stuff. They performed miracles in the name of Christ. They cast out demons in the name of Christ. It says, they, we did many great, mighty works in the name of Christ. Like, Lord, Lord, I led so many people to pray the prayer for salvation. Lord, I, I led worship teams. I taught my kids how to pray. And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. Yet those who are embraced, those who are accepted into the kingdom, it says, are those who do the will of God. Now, isn't the will of God, you might ask, isn't the will of God um, to do good things? To be obedient? To do might, many mighty works? To grow a ministry? Cast out demons? Like, how are we going to look at that and be like, eh, I don't know if God's working there? You know what I'm saying? Like, church is exploding that dude just walked in and he, I swear he had a demon like hanging on his back and it's gone. You know what I'm saying? People being healed. People walking the aisles, saying prayers, crying. Depart from me? What's the difference? What is the contrast here? Like what is then the will of God? If it's not that. See, here's the thing guys. We are... Is everybody in here an American? Okay, so most of us are Americans. And as good Americans, when we hear fruit, we immediately think external actions. Like what things look like on the outside. Whether or not something looks sinful or looks good. And then second to that, we immediately think success. We think big ministry, big change, demons being cast out, you name it. Whatever you would say is success in the Christian life. Here is the problem that we're facing right now. Jesus is looking at people who we would say, according to that definition, are bearing a lot of good fruit. Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, depart from me. I never knew you. What is the contrast? All right, here's the question we need to ask to answer that. We need to dive into this. Look at, look at it. Verse 21. This is the key. The one who does the will of my Father is accepted. 
question we have to ask is this. What is the will of the Father? What is God's will? John 6. Turn to John 6. I think I can throw it up on the screen for you. Yes. John chapter 6. Verse 40. This is our key. Look at it. Jesus is talking. He says this. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life and be raised in the last day. Friends, does that, does that sound like actions? Does it sound like works to you? My will. What is the will of the Father? He states it. John chapter 6. My will is that everybody who looks to the Son. Charles Spurgeon says, anybody can look to Jesus. Like, the educated, the uneducated, the old, the young, the rich, anybody can look to Christ. The will of my Father is this, that all who look to, to, the saint, to, to Christ are raised on the last day. Go back to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus' conclusion here. What is the contrast between good fruit, bad fruit? What is the contrast here between those who are invited in as citizens of the kingdom versus those who are turned away, depart from me? I never knew you. Here it is. It's in the language. Look, look at the language of those who are turned away. Lord, did we not prophesy? We cast out demons. We've led worship teams. We've led people to say a prayer. We've taught people the Bible. We've done, we've, 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 we've. This is all stuff that's connected to me. It's all stuff that I have done. It's all actions that I have done. Good, religious deeds. Friends, what we see here is this. A, a, a life lived of doing good things for the kingdom of God and trusting in those things as your salvation is a life on the wide road heading toward destruction. Those who are invited in as citizens are those who did the will of the Father and they looked to the Son. They trusted in the Son. They trusted in Christ. They trusted in the works of Christ. Remember the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount? How do we come in? Spiritually puffed up, got it all together, self, self-righteous? No. He says you come in poor in spirit. The entry point is spiritual poverty. It's having nothing to offer. It's saying, I, if I don't have Christ, I have nothing. And now we can enter. Now we can rely on Christ. Now we can trust on Him. Now listen, with all of that, the Sermon on the Mount and then this, the first two-thirds of His conclusion here, with all of that now, Jesus has led Himself to this final sort of epic, breathtaking parable that he gives us as a final conclusion to his sermon. Let's read it together. Everyone then 
who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. During the heat of the summer in Galilee, the sand around the sea hardens to the point where you could actually build a house upon it. However, only a fool would do so because once the storms roll in from the sea, that sand will never hold the house. What Jesus is saying is this. There are many people on this wide road building their entire lives on sand, on a foundation that currently seems solid. Your good works, your deeds, rolling up your sleeves, helping people, doing good at your job, being a good mom, a good dad, a good friend, trying to fi find God in various ways, trying to find God through various religions, even participating in a Christianity that is void of Christ at the center, void of repentance, void of an understanding of sin, salvation. It's sand that is packed down that currently seems solid, that we build our lives on, but listen, it will never withstand the winds of setbacks, problems, the floods of God's wrath for sin. The rain of death. What Jesus is saying this is this. There is a rock that you can build on. Now, what is the rock? Let's be very specific here. I don't want to just broadly kind of give you the rock, and then we'll close with that. I want to be specific. What is the rock that Jesus here is referring to? Because we could take it a lot of different ways. We could read that and say, well, the rock is the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to build on, on, on uh, being obedient to this. The rock is, uh, is uh, trying to follow the Bible, trying to follow God. What is the rock? Now, in the first century, when Jesus um, stated this to the Jews of his day, they would have immediately known of a whole myriad of verses from the Old Testament that tell us what the rock is. So let me give you a few of them. Psalm chapter 31, verse 3. For you are my rock and my fortress, and, your names, and for your name's sake you lead me and guide me. So he's referring there to God. So God is the rock. Psalm 61, verse 2. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 10. Enter the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. So here now we, we begin to realize that the rock is an attribute of God which is a fortress, a fortress against his own wrath for sin. That he provides some kind of fortress, some kind of rock, some, something for us to get under, to build upon. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 4. 
Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. So as Jesus is speaking this, they would have immediately known and connected this do- the dots that the rock is God. But what's specifically about God? becomes our rock. And here's the answer. Christ is our rock. Christ is the rock that he is referring to. Did the Old Testament saints believe in Christ? Did they stand upon Christ? Did they drink from Christ? Let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. Speaking of those who lived before Christ, the Old Testament saints, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it says this, and they all ate the same spiritual food that we do. They all drank the same spiritual drink. What was that? For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and look at it, And the rock was Christ. You see, Christ is referring here. He's ending his sermon with himself as the foundation. He's saying, look, like what's the main point of my sermon? I am. That's what Jesus is saying. Like I am everything that this is about. I am the foundation. I am the rock. I am the only sustenance that you can eat the only drink that you, can, that you can gulp down which will forever quench your thirst. I am the rock, the foundation which will provide for you, and I am the same rock that every believer has placed their faith in. Every believer has entered through this narrow gate of Christ. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they drank from the rock of Christ. And we have everything in common with all of those saints, Moses and Esther and Deborah and David and Samuel and Hosea and Mary and John and Paul and Peter. And then going on to the early church, St. Augustine and Tertullian and John Calvin and Martin Luther. Like We all entered through the same narrow gate and we all found Christ as our rock and we drank from Christ and we placed our life and we built our life upon that rock which wasn't going anywhere. And what we find is a foundation that withstands the most difficult things that life can throw at us. The most difficult things that sin throws at us, that Satan throws at us. And it withstands, listen to this, death itself. Meaning those of you who have built your life on the rock through faith, leaning, trusting in Christ, what you find is that you will die and when you die, your foundation remains. Nothing has changed, and you've been given a glorious new body because your life is founded on the works, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This sermon is all about Christ. The Sermon on the Mount, it's all about Him. From the very beginning of His sermon in chapter 5, saying that blessed are those who enter poor in spirit, the those, those who come with nothing. We come realizing our utter need for a Savior. And then he gives us the law to both show us 
what it looks like now to be a citizen, but also to remind us daily that we fail and that we need a Savior, that we need to come poor in spirit. And then Jesus finishes his sermon, pointing to himself, I am the foundation. This is all about me. The sermon is preached to those who are Christians, to those who have come into the kingdom, poor in spirit, utter dependency on Christ as their Savior. And they have found that they've been freed from the chains of Satan, freed now to, to embrace this as a manifesto of the kingdom, to begin living a life through the righteousness of Christ that more and more reflects a kingdom life. And what we find every day is that our rock is Christ, who then says to us, go and be salt and light. Go into the world and be salt and be light. Listen, this, about two weeks ago, um, yet another friend of a friend lost their life due to the violence in this city. Do you guys, do you realize how we live in a city where vividly before us every day, whether it's someone you know or someone on the news, we see that there are, there are souls sort of hanging somewhere between earth and eternity. And many are on the wide road heading toward destruction. Do you realize that we have been invited to be partakers in the kingdom of God and that our job now is, listen, not to usher in the kingdom, but to simply proclaim the good news of the kingdom? To go out into the world and to share the good news of Christ, to share the, 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 the rock of Christ, the foundation that we can build on? Do you realize that thousands of people around us are basing their lives, they're building their lives on a foundation that will not last people that you are friends with, people that you are neighbors with. And we walk by them and we talk to them every day. And they're trusting in their things that they do. They're trusting in their religions. They're trusting in their guns. They're trusting in their good looks. They're trusting in their, re they're trusting in their Christless Christianity. And we walk by them and we interact with them every day. Do we, re do we really realize that God has called us to go out of here into this world to be salt and to be light, to proclaim the good news that this, the kingdom of Satan has been toppled over and that we now, through Christ, can have an access point, the gateway into the kingdom of God and that Christ qualifies the unqualified to be part of this kingdom. Friends, we, we come here every week and we are commanded to do this, I believe, to come and to sit and to listen once again to the good news being proclaimed. But this, listen, this is what we do every week. Every week we stand up and then we walk out of here. And what are we doing when we're walking out of here? We are going back into our lives, into our jobs, into our families, into our neighborhoods. Will we go to proclaim 
the good news of Christ to a dying world? Will we go into the city that God has placed us to proclaim the good news that the kingdom is here, but we don't stop with that because that alone is bad news for someone who's not part of the kingdom? The good news is that Jesus offers us forgiveness, and we proclaim that, that you can have forgiveness through the blood of Christ. Will you go into your homes into your jobs? Will you find someone that you don't know and make a, a, a friendship with them so that you can share with them the good news of Jesus Christ? Will you build your life on this solid rock? And then will you proclaim, will you shout, will you realize that you are the couriers of the only good news that can transform a life from the wide road heading to destruction to the narrow road heading toward life. Verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Are you astonished with Jesus? Has he captivated your hearts? Has he, has, he, has, he, has he captured your imagination? Are you amazed with Christ this morning? Let's pray. Father, we um, are thrilled as a community to have had the grace to be able to walk through the Sermon on the Mount. We thank you for Christ, your Son, our Messiah, our Savior. We thank you for uh, the fact that he preached it, that it's been preserved for us to benefit from. And God, we, we thank you for moving in our hearts this morning. May we see Christ as our rock. And may we find that the narrow road is not a road of fear and guilt. It's a road of life. It's a road with a foundation that, is, that will never fail us and that is leading us to the everlasting joy in the kingdom of heaven. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.